to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we're going to continue our series on answering tough questions. Answering tough questions. We'll be dealing with this throughout the summer and into the fall. Got a lot of great tough questions we want to deal with. Um, the very first lesson, which was a couple weeks ago, we've had some things happen in between, was can we trust the Bible? And if you missed that, you can listen to it online. But through a number of, uh, re- for a number of reasons, we came to because we can trust the Bible, that it is God's word to us. All right? Tonight, we're going to be looking at, are there errors in the Bible? And uh, there's four different areas we're going to be looking at. And as I started preparing the lesson, as I told you a few minutes ago, I discovered there's no way we're covering all four of these in one night. So we're going to do part one tonight. And God willing, next week we'll be doing, are there errors in the Bible, part two. What are those four areas? Tonight, we're going to be dealing with errors in content. In other words, were the right books included in the Bible? Uh, the reason we're studying this, the reason we're talking about this, is that probably most of us, maybe all of us in this room, is like, I know the Bible's God's word, I'm very confident of that, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? There are a lot of people who object, and they have some very significant and logical reasons to not accept the Bible as God's word. And I think we need a good understanding of at least the basics of the answers to these questions to solidify our faith in case the enemy comes and says, see, what about that? You know, But also so we can know that there are really good answers out there to give to people that wrestle with these questions. So tonight we're going to deal with um, errors in the sense of errors of content. Were the right books included in the Bible? We've got 66 books in the Bible, but there are a lot of other books that could have been included. There are other books that people said should have been included. There are books that people call uh, the ones that were lost and they were left out. You've got this thing called the Apocrypha. You've got the Pseudepigrapha. You say, you've lost me. That's okay. You don't need to know all that stuff to get a lot out of the lesson tonight. So we're going to talk about that for the first part of the lesson tonight. Were the right books included? But even if the right books were included, and I believe 100% they were, how do we know that the copies we have today are accurate? Okay, because the books in the Old Testament were written thousands of years ago. The New Testament, it's been almost 2,000 years. We don't have any of the originals. They've all been copied and copied and copied and copied and copied and copied and copied. copied. And you've probably heard people say, well, I don't care. Even if the original ones were really accurate, there's no way we can know that what we have today is even close to the originals. Because you know what it's like when you copy something and you copy it again and you copy it again and you copy it again. And again, I just want to reassure you at the very beginning that we can know that the text of the Bible that we have, Old and New Testament, is tremendously accurate and we can know that it's what was the original uh, 99.5% of the time. Say, what about that other half percent? We're going to talk about that tonight, okay? The next week, we're going to get into contradictions, okay? Um, Two different areas. Uh, Is the Bible accurate compared to science, history, and archaeology? People say, well, the Bible is a bunch of really nice stories, but it doesn't line up with biology. It doesn't line up with uh, evolution. It doesn't line up with um, history. It doesn't line up with archaeology. You know, all these kind of things, uh, we're going to deal with that. And then the one that's a lot of fun, I think, is does the Bible contradict itself? All right? People say, well, you know, all those contradictions in the Bible. But if you ask them to name one of the contradictions, most of the time they can't. 
But I will tell you, there are quite a few things in the Bible that if you look at it here and you look at it here, it's like, that looks like a contradiction. Okay? And we're going to be using a number of ex- examples. I'll give you a couple just to think about. John brought one up. One of my favorites is, you know, Jesus said that just like Jonah, the son of man, will be in the grave three days and three nights. But yet, we say he died on Friday and rose on Sunday. That's only two nights and one full day. How, is that a contradiction? You know, the stories of the resurrection in the Gospels, one says that there was an angel, another one says there were two angels, one says there were two men. How do we reconcile that? Okay? So, don't lose your faith between now and Wednesday. We'll deal with those and some others that are in there. Okay? There are very reasonable, logical answers to all the questions that people raise that they think are contradictions in the Bible, okay? So we're going to talk about that. So tonight, let's jump in and just want to let you know that both of these nights, tonight and next week, we're just going to kind of do an overview. Each of these topics, there have been books written on, okay? And if you really wanted to research it, you could spend hours and hours and hours. My purpose is to give you kind of an overview of the issues so you can have the confidence that we do have God's Word. Because there's a lot of content, I'll be doing a little bit more talking tonight than we usually do. We usually have a lot more discussion, but we'll have some. Okay, so let's jump in with the first one. Well, first of all, I chose two texts to start out with. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I believe that with all my heart. Probably every single one of you believe that too. But how can we know? How can we be confident? Those are the issues we're dealing with. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is God's word to us to encourage us, but also to challenge us, to correct us, to instruct us to let us know what we should believe and not believe and how we should behave and how we shouldn't behave. But if we can't know for sure that it's God's word, then it can't be a very good guide. You know, Uh, there have been people who have said, you know, well, the Bible contains God's word, but it's not all God's word, but God's word is in there. It's like, well, how do you know which part is God's word and which part isn't? And it usually comes down to, well, the part I agree with must be God's word. And the part I don't agree with must not be God's word. And we see that stuff played out in our culture. Did you have a comment, Dorothy? Uh, the, the idea of the different translations, there's no problems with the different translations. You know, the original Bible, the Bible was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, okay? And all the translations we have, the actual translations. Now, there are things called paraphrases that are not translations. But when you talk about actual translations, those are biblical scholars who love Jesus with all their heart. Uh, many times, sometimes even a hundred of them from different backgrounds and stuff have gone down, back to the original Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and just translated it into current language. Because language has changed through the years and because language changes from culture to culture to culture, not you know, the different translations are worded just a little bit different. But for the most part, if it's a true translation, you read it and this translation, you read it, this translation, it says the same thing, just different words. But we're going to dig into that some in the, uh, tonight and um, uh, next week also, okay? The important thing about the translations is that you need to have a translation that you can understand. That's more important. You know, if you use a translation, a specific translation, because somebody said that's the one you should use or whatever, and you can't understand it, you're not going to get much out of it, okay? Well, 
that can cause some confusion. But like I said, if you have an actual translation, you can put any two translations side by side, two verses, and they'll be saying the same thing, just in different words. Okay? So let's get into this topic here. Errors in content. Were the right books included in the Bible? Were the right books included in the Bible? You know, the Bible itself mentions other books that are not in the Bible. Okay, and um, they were books that were written at the time that were helpful in their society. You know, I was just been reading through Kings as part of my devotions, and it says, so-and-so reigned as king, and the rest of the acts that he did you can find in the record of the annals of the kings of Israel, or the annal of the kings of Judah. Okay, it was an actual document that they had, that they kept record of the kings and what they did, but God determined it was not inspired, so it was not put in the Bible. Okay, There are some other works that are quoted in the New Testament, but they're not quoted as scripture. They're just quoted as documents. All right, um, As I mentioned in my introduction, there are books uh, that are part of a group of a collection called the Apocrypha that are not in our Bible. They're not in the Jewish Bible, but they're in the Catholic Bible. There's another group um, that's called the Pseudepigrapha, all right? which basically means false named, but it just means that somebody wrote a book and they named it after somebody famous so it could be accepted. Okay, that's literally what people would do. There have been these things called the lost books, you know, the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary. A number of years ago, there was a book written called um, in my, The Da Vinci Code. I was going to say, my mind just went blank. The Da Vinci Code is made into a movie, and the whole premise is that there's this Gospel of Thomas that was kicked out of the Bible, but it has more accuracy than the books that we have in the Bible, and it says that Jesus was married to Mary, which the Gospel of Thomas doesn't even say that, and that they had a child and all kinds of crazy stuff. And these books actually exist. There's some other really good books that have some interesting things that can help us with Early church history, like the Didache is what it's called, or the, the Epistle of Barnabas, and, and a couple of other books like that that are interesting, but they're not part of Scripture. So how do we know that the books that we have in our Bible are actually the ones that belong there, that some didn't get left out or some got put in that shouldn't have been? How would you answer that? Any thoughts about how we can know that the books, the 66 books in our Bible, really are the ones God wanted to be there? Any thoughts? Okay, he's like, I don't know that much about that. Okay, let's put it this way. If it was up to you to try to determine whether or not the books of the Bible were inspired, what kind of criteria do you think you would use? What would you look for? What would you say, this would be an indication that this book is probably inspired or not inspired? What are some thoughts? Vita? That's right, the whole area of apologetics. That's not the study of how to apologize, by the way. That's the study of how to defend your faith and what you believe and what you don't believe. So what criteria would you, would you, th- you know, what seems to make sense to you? So, you know, something that might could help us know this is inspired of God or it's not inspired of God. Something that we would see or not see in a book in particular. Verissa? What? It's accurate to history? Okay. So it should tell the truth about history. It should tell the truth about everything, right? If God is a God of truth, so specifically history, we're going to talk about that some next week because there are people who say, well, the Bible does contradict the history or archaeology or you know things like that. So it should be accurate, all right? That would be a very basic thing, wouldn't it? All right? Any other thoughts? Lynn? Sure. Fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy. And that's... 
as we talked about in the first lesson, that's one of the things that lets us know that this really is God's word because there's so much fulfilled prophecy in it. Yeah. And secondly, Guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's true too. Now, I would say that we don't want to use that by itself, and here's why. Because the Mormons have something very similar. They say, here, we want you to read this in the Book of Mormon. Now, didn't you feel a burning in your bosom? You know, and, and seriously, and people confess to you, I, I felt something when I read that. Was that the Holy Spirit? No, the Mormons are a cult, okay? Their Book of Mormon contradicts the Bible and does contradict history because it relates. Anyway, don't want to dig deeply into that. So I just I wanted to ask you to get some feedback to kind of get your ideas on this. But let's jump in and take a look at this. There's a, there's a term called canon. Not like a canon, you shoot cannonballs, all right? It's C-A-N-O-N. And canon, you got the New Testament canon, you got the Old Testament canon. Basically, the Old Testament canon are the 39 books in the Old Testament. The New Testament canon are the 27 books in the New Testament. And the word canon comes from an old word that means measuring rod. And it can also mean a rule or a standard. And so it is used to talk about the standard list of books that are included in the Bible as inspired scripture. And it's the standard by which all theological claims, truths, teaching should be measured. Okay, So we're going to talk, first of all, about the Old Testament and how the books that were in it became uh, are, are accepted as being inspired by God and the 39 books that God wanted to be in the Old Testament because it was settled before Jesus showed up on the scene. Okay, The New Testament, you know, it's all one Bible for us, but the Jews just have the Old Testament. All right, and they believe it is God's word. All right, but the New Testament was after Jesus, and we believe it's God's word also. So we're going to deal with them separately. So first of all, we have the Old Testament, and I put on your note sheet is Old Testament criteria. Now, let me just tell you again: if you want to dig deeply into it, you can do this. There's books, all kinds of stuff on the internet. All right, and you can get really deep into it. So, as I said, tonight is an overview. Um, there is no official record of these people use these things to determine what's inspired, and what isn't. But the things we're going to look at tonight are things that were all considerations that were used by God's people to recognize what was inspired by him. Okay, um, There is no record of a certain process that was taken at a certain time to say this is God's word. You can read about certain times in history when God's people said, we've just got to take a stand that this is God's word. For the Old Testament, you may read someplace that there was a thing called the Council of Jamnia in about AD 90, which is actually after Jesus, where the Jewish people took a stand and said, okay, this is God's word. But it wasn't like that that date they determined this was God's word. It was, God's word was recognized as God's word all through history or up to a certain point, but there had been some rumblings and some people really, really says, we've got to take a stand. This is what it is. All right, And the same thing sort of happened for the New Testament, too. So, here's the main things that were considered, all right? And I believe is led by the Holy Spirit as to whether or not these books in the Old Testament were inspired by God and should be part of the Old Testament. Letter A is the, an authoritative author. In other words, it was written by a prophet or the scribe of a prophet, and it goes back to something that Lynn said, not just the fulfilled prophecy, but someone that God called to speak for him. Okay? And there are a lot of prophets in the Old Testament that were called to speak for God, but their words were never written down because God didn't have them written down. Were they inspired? Sure they were. They had God's word for their day. 
But there were some prophets that God said, write these down. And sometimes the prophets themselves wrote them down. Sometimes they had students or scribes. Some of them are actually named. Trivia question. Who was Jeremiah's scribe? He's named in the Bible. Anybody remember? His name was Baruch. B-A-R-U-C-H. Okay. Jeremiah may not have written any of his stuff down. He might have. We don't know for sure. But we know for sure his assistant, his scribe, wrote down a lot. In fact, there was one time he wrote down these things because Jeremiah said, God write this down. God said, write it down. Give it to the king. And the king was reading it, and he had such a disdain for God and his word that he started cutting it up and throwing it in the fire. And Jeremiah says, okay, Baruch, write it down again because we got you know, save, save this thing, okay? And so um, an authoritative author, someone who was already called to speak for God, and when God so determined, he had it written down. The New Testament talks about this. In Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay? Some people that you wouldn't even think of being as prophet were prophets. Moses was a prophet. You know, Abraham's even called a prophet, even though we don't have any of his writings. Okay? All right. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, it says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that's talking specifically about the Old Testament, that God moved upon the prophets by his Holy Spirit, that what they would speak would be the words of God. And so one of the things that the people were looking at, and one of the things that God used to confirm within people's hearts, this is the word of God, is that it was written by a prophet, or someone associated with a prophet, okay, that had that authority behind it. Letter B, wild, uh, not wildly, widely accepted by God's people and preserved through time. There's a recognition of the individual, you know, like when God speaks to our heart, but there's a recognition of God's people, all right? That God's people altogether, that God's people combined, that God's people gathered together would recognize this is God speaking to us. All right, And I want to make sure you understand this, that what we're talking about here is that God's people recognized and accepted God's word. They didn't choose God's word. Okay, The idea of choosing God's word is like, well, I like this one, so I'm going to say this is God's word. No, this is, I recognize that this has authority. I recognize that this is God's word. A really good example of this, uh, illustration of this, not example, is that you know the way we work here in our church, myself and our elder board, our elder board are the spiritual leaders of this church, and we handle a number of responsibilities. And one of the responsibilities we have is to um, deal with people who say, I want to be a member of this church. And they turn in the application of membership, you know, and they go through all the steps they need to go through, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so at an elders meeting, I bring the applications for membership, and I say, so-and-so has applied for membership. Okay? And so what we do is we take a poll and say, well, who, who likes that person? Who doesn't like that person? Who thinks we should kick them out of the church, not let them come? No, we don't do anything like that. I had you there for a minute. A couple of you had a look on your face like, what? You're like, I'm glad I was accepted as a member. They must have liked me. No. <laughs> That's never even talked about. What do we do? We say, okay, do they meet the qualifications? 
Okay, do they meet the qualifications? If they meet the qualifications, they become a member. And it's the same way. God's people did not say, well, do I like this book? Do I not? Should we put this in God's word? Should we put it as part of our sacred scriptures? No. Does it meet the qualifications? Does it have that authoritative stamp? Was it written by a prophet or a scribe that was associated with a prophet? Does God speak through it? We recognize that. We don't choose that, okay? So widely accepted by God's people and preserved through time. Letter C is consistent with the rest of God's word. God does not con- contradict himself, which again is the topic next week. They say well, there are contradictions in the Bible, okay? There are things that may look like it, but we're going to talk about that next week. So, if a book would be considered, is this really God's word, then it can't contradict what was already established as God's word. Because, you see, these books were written over a long period of time. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's way back there. And then other books were written hundreds of years later. Well, the books that were written hundreds of years later, if they were inspired by God, spoken through a prophet, written down, they couldn't contradict what Moses had already written down and was inspired by God. So it had to be consistent with the rest of God's word, all right? in agreement with its previous teachings and doctrine and that kind of thing. Now, we have an extra confirmation. Those of us that are Christians, now the Jewish people wouldn't look at this as, as a confirmation that the Old Testament really is God's word, but we can take great confidence in this, is that letter D um, this is a confirmation of the Jewish scriptures that it was accepted and quoted by Jesus and the apostles. The Old Testament that we have, the Old Testament that the Jewish people accept as their sacred scripture was accepted and quoted from by Jesus and the apostles. In fact, you know, Jesus and the religious leaders had a lot of disagreements because the religious leaders rejected Jesus. But this is one area where Jesus, and at least the Pharisees, okay, not the Sadducees, because the Sadducees didn't believe the whole Old Testament was the Old Testament. I know you're saying that, right? That's why they were sad, you see. But anyway, uh, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. That's the Sadducees. But the Pharisees believed all the Old Testament was God's word. That's one area where Jesus agreed with them 100%, okay? In fact, he believed it so strongly, he said, there's not one little tiny jot or tittle. It's like the dot on an I or a cross on a T that will not... Be fulfilled because it is God's word. Yes, Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Bible talks about, I just read a couple of scriptures, but there's quite a few of them where it talks about how holy men of God, prophets of God, were inspired by God to speak his word. And as I said, it wasn't an issue of choosing, it was an issue of recognizing. All right? Um, Jesus and the New Testament authors quote from the Old Testament approximately 300 to 850 times. That's a wide range. Why such a wide range? Well, there's 300 definite times, but there's other places that things are said and we're not sure if they quoted from it or were just quoting truth that was based on it or whatever because it's not exactly word for word. But what I'm trying to say is that Jesus and the apostles, including Paul, Peter, the, the epistle writers and everything, referred back to the Jewish scriptures as scripture. So we have that to bring even more confirmation that the books that we have in the Old Testament were the books that God wanted to be in there. Now, we'll come back to the ones that some people say should be in there, but they're not after we deal with the New Testament. So let's talk about the New Testament, okay? The New Testament criteria. There is this claim that the Roman Emperor Constantine, who became a Christian, that's what history tells us. We don't know his heart. 
he decided to conquer the world in the name of Christ, which is kind of an unusual way to <laughs> spread the gospel. But anyway, um, there's this claim that the Roman emperor Constantine wanted to forge political and religious power alliances, so he decided which books were going to be in the New Testament, and then he burned all the other ones. Yeah, there are people that claim that, but that is not true. There was a time when Constantine was emperor when the church said, okay, we need to declare what we already know and believe to be God's word. All right. What's really interesting is that something like that happened with the Quran. I didn't know this until I was studying for this lesson. That, you know, the Quran was supposedly written down by Muhammad and it was revealed to him by an angel or something. I haven't studied that real in depth. And there were tons and tons and tons of copies and they were different and stuff, but there came a time in history, I don't remember exactly when it was, you can look it up yourself, when one of the guys that was in charge said there's too many different copies saying too many different things, so I'm going to decide which one's the right one. And so he picked the one he liked and he had all the rest of them burned. That really is a historical fact. Okay. But that did not happen with um, the New Testament. It was very, very similar to the Old Testament. It was a process Okay, um, most of the books were readily accessible um, and accepted from the very, very beginning. You know, Jesus lived from you know the crossing of BC to AD. Actually, because they got a little bit off, he was born about six BC, six to four BC, and he lived till about thirty to thirty-three AD. And they think the Gospel of Mark was written within ten years of when Jesus died. Okay, and the other gospels, uh, Matthew and Mar- uh, Matthew and Luke, were written shortly after that. The Gospel of John was probably written in like eighty ninety or something like that. All right, the last book of the New Testament, Revelation, was probably written about the same time before AD one hundred, but they were written over a period of fifty sixty years. You know, Paul's letters and all that kind of stuff. Some of them were circulated more, like Paul's letters did a lot of circulating because they were small. They made a lot of copies. They passed them around. Some took a little bit more. The Gospels were circulated a lot because they wanted people wanted to learn about Jesus' life, okay, and they were written relatively early, all right, and some of the others um, were written later or they weren't circulated as much, and so the process of recognizing, again, recognizing, not choosing, but recognizing these words, these books as inspired took place over a period of time, all right, but very, very quickly after the last book was written, it began to be very, very evident which books were inspired by God, okay? On what basis? Very similar to the Old Testament. Letter A, the authoritative author. Except in this case, it wasn't a prophet per se, could be, but it was written by an apostle or an associate of an apostle. If you look at the New Testament, I mean, still just about the same thing, just a different word, all right? A spokesperson, a messenger from God, all right? Um, there are some books that are not written by apostles, but they were associates. You know, the Gospel of Mark was probably the first gospel written. Um, but he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a disciple. But he was a companion of Peter. Many people believe that Mark's gospel was really Peter's account. You say, well, Luke wasn't one either, but Luke was Paul's uh, uh uh, assistant, you could say, okay? And so he had Paul's input in that, okay? All of these books were written within the first century, within a very, very short time of Jesus' life, all right? And it's interesting that even before all the letters and books that were included in the New Testament were finished, some of them were already looking at some of the others as Scripture. Peter himself said that some of Paul's writings were Scripture, 2 Peter 3, verses 15 to 16. 
and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter says, you know, Paul's written to you about this kind of stuff. Sometimes Paul's a little hard to understand. How many say, I I can see that, yeah, you know? And some people take it, they twist it around just like they do the other scriptures. So Peter, when he's writing this second letter, is already saying these these letters of Paul, they're scripture. They're inspired. What were you going to say, Vita? He talks a lot about a lot of the same themes and a lot of the same um, topics. Yes. Yeah, Lynn. Um, probably, probably not. Yeah, so the question, let me repeat it for the recording. The question was, you know, did the apostles, much less lay people, have written down copies of the Old Testament? And the answer is no, everything was hand copied. They were very expensive. The synagogues had copies. But they were much better at memorizing things, though, too. What were you going to say, Lynn? That's right. And we're going to get to that yet even tonight. That's a very, very important point. Yes, Pat. Okay. So are you talking about the passage in, in Acts where it says that Peter and John were arrested and it says that they were not learned men and they knew that they'd been with Jesus? Is that what you're talking about? Okay, well, that doesn't mean that they didn't have an education. Okay, it just meant that they weren't the biblical scholars of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, Paul was a biblical scholar. So he, now, he, as he wrote, he, he repeated many things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did I mention letter B already? No, not yet. Okay, so letter B is the same as for the Old Testament. It was widely accepted by God's people and preserved through time. Again, the inherent authority was recognized, and especially by the early church fathers. You may have heard of the early church fathers. They were the... Uh, great men of God that came after the apostles that all died and such. And there was a lot of discussion, and they recognized the authority um, that was in the books that we have in our New Testament. And again, they recognized and accepted. They didn't choose it. They were not choosing the books they liked. They were not choosing the ones they wanted to be part of the Bible. They recognized they were inspired. Okay? Um, It's interesting that the Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, and all Protestants agree on the same 27 books in the New Testament. And what's also interesting, I wouldn't use it as support for us, but uh, even the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses agree on the same 27 books as far as being in the New Testament. Now, they got other things that they say are just as inspired, which we would not agree with, but they all agree because they have been recognized throughout church history as being inspired from the very beginning, the very beginning. Okay, Um, Letter C is, again, the same as it was for the Old Testament, which would make sense because these are the standards that God set. It's consistent with the rest of God's word. Okay, There's got to be that agreement with previous teachings and doctrine. In fact, Paul even told the Galatians, if what looks to be an angel from heaven tells you something different, don't believe him. Galatians 1.8, but even if we, he said, even if I start saying something that contradicts, it's not from God. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Okay? So these books, these teachings had to align with the tradition of what was taught by Jesus, first of all, and then communicated by the apostles. And it had to agree with the teachings in the Old Testament, too. 
And there were a lot of books that were rejected early on. There were other books that were written that were full of heresy that did not agree, okay? Um, one of them being the Gospel of Thomas that I mentioned a moment ago, and I'm going to give you an example from that. Yeah, Pat. I agree. Jesus would have let him know. But Jesus, Jesus, that's right. Jesus accepted the Old Testament as it was. Yeah. And then D comes down to one of the things that Lynn has mentioned, and that is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit was involved in the process of recognizing the old inspiration, the books that were inspired in the Old Testament, too. You just don't hear a lot of talk about it. But because of the active working of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, you see a whole lot more about that. And so the Holy Spirit was involved in this whole process. You know, Jesus said um, in the upper room, in John 10, 27, he said, or, I'm sorry, that was before the upper room. The next one is the upper room. But in John 20, 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay? In other words, his sheep recognize his voice. Now, that's Jesus, but how does Jesus speak to his people when he leaves, it's through the Holy Spirit. That's why I included it under the Holy Spirit here. He says, you could, you know, when you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you hear his speaking. And the Holy Spirit was definitely involved in the process of the church recognizing what was inspired. In the upper room, which is what I was referring to a minute ago, John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit was involved in the apostles to help them remember accurately what Jesus had said so that they could write it down, all right, and could be used by the Holy Spirit to write other things that necessarily Jesus said, like the letters of Paul, the letters of Peter, and that kind of thing, all right? Now, this isn't on your note sheet because it isn't anything you take notes on, but, but what about the Apocrypha? How many of you have never heard of the Apocrypha? Any? Okay, some of you, all right? rest of you have heard of it? The Apocrypha, depending on how you count the books, because sometimes they combine some, sometimes they don't, it's 10, 12 books, all right, that you can find in a Catholic Bible. And they're found between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I didn't memorize, like Sirach and First and Second Ezra's and First, Second, and Third, Fourth Maccabees and things like that. Okay. Now, I will tell you that people in the early church studied these books. They never accepted them as Scripture. But they have some interesting facts in it, some interesting stuff to study. All right, but they were never accepted by the early church um, as scripture. They thought it was worth studying. All right, but it kind of ended up being in the Catholic Bibles because in some of the earlier translations, like this guy named Jerome translated the Bible into Latin, and he put the Apocrypha in there because a lot of people were studying it and getting some good stuff out of it, but he said it was not part of the Bible. He just put it in there to help study it, but then over time it just got accepted as part of the Bible. It just kind of evolved that way, all right? Um, But it's interesting that even though the Catholic Church accepts the Apocrypha, as on the same level as the Bible now, they didn't until about the 1600s, the 16th century. Um, for some reason, at that time, they said, "You know what? We're just going to keep this at the same, put this at the same level as the rest of Scripture." So it never really was in the early church at all by anybody accepted as Scripture. All right, all right. And then the, la- the fourth thing here is, what about the quote lost books? Every once in a while, you'll see some sensationalistic thing in the news or social media or maybe a new book that came out. Lost books found. These books should have been in the Bible. They were never lost. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they were there all along. It's just somebody wants to make a buck. All right. Um, and again, I mentioned the name of some like Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Barnabas. 
uh, some other epistles and all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of them were Gnostic writings, and you don't have to know what that means, other than the fact that it was some false teaching that arose in the first century. Okay, And they claimed all kinds of stuff about Jesus. And if you look at them, if you were to sit down and read, it's like, this is obvious. Anybody that really knows God and knows God's word and has the Holy Spirit, you know this is not scripture. You know, and, and as I said, when that when Dan Brown wrote that book, The Da Vinci Code, and the movie was put out and said, well, you know, the Gospel of Thomas and Jesus was married. Like I said, the book doesn't even the Gospel of Thomas doesn't even say Jesus was married to Mary, but he said it did. But anyway, um, you know, he says this is a book that that was earlier than the other Gospels. No, it was written several hundred years. Remember, I told you all the books in the New Testament were written before 100 A.D. The Gospel of Thomas was written a couple hundred years later, all right? And it's full of all kinds of crazy stuff. In fact, let me just give you one example. The Gospel of Thomas concludes with a quote of Jesus, supposedly telling Peter that Mary Magdalene can tag along with them because if she's faithful, then she'll turn into a male, and then she'll be fit for heaven. That's the kind of thing that's part of the Gospel of Thomas. Now, does that seem to really fit in with the rest of... No. And when you read these other, quote, lost books, you know, most of them are that way. Now, there are some... Some interesting books. Um, I mentioned one earlier. It's a title is a Greek title, Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E. It was a book that was used by the early church. It was never deemed to be scripture, but it gives instructions on how to have communion and how to do baptism and just really practical things for the early church. It's interesting reading, but it's not scripture. All right? So all that to be said, all that to say, we can be sure that the books that we have in our Bible are the ones that were inspired. Now, keep in mind, that still takes an aspect of faith. Because if a person wants to believe they aren't, they're not going to believe they are. Okay? It still is an act of faith. And it still requires the work of the Holy Spirit. But there are very, very, very good foundations, which is what we just went through, to show that these are the ones that belonged in the Bible and the ones that were not put in the Bible were not put in the Bible for very, very good reasons. Okay? So we don't have to wonder. As believers in Jesus Christ, whether did we get them all? Did one slip in there that really doesn't belong there? You know, did one not make it that should have been? We don't need to worry about that. Vita. Well, that's a good question. Just, you know, we can say this is inspired scripture. But that doesn't mean that we find it easy to understand everything in it or that we find everything in it easy to accept. And that's one of the reasons we got this series on answering tough questions. In fact, we need to ask, add that one to my list. Why did a God of love command Joshua and the Israelites to go into the uh, promised land and wipe out all these people? There's a very good reason for that. And I need to add that to my list to be one of the ones that we deal with on one of our Wednesday nights. Okay. What? Well, they were one of the ites. Yeah, you got the Jebusites and the Gergesites and the Malachites and the Termites and... Well, we're not going to deal with the short answer tonight. I know you'd love to throw it out there, Carlton, but we'll deal with that another night. We can get into all kinds of stuff tonight. Um, yeah, and, you know, just even the idea of hell. I believe in hell with all my heart, okay? It's taught in Scripture, but it's not easy to accept. And that is one of our questions. How can a loving God send people to hell? So if you come up with some other difficult questions, tough questions, let me know and we'll add them to the list because we're going to deal with them. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't let Carlton give a short answer. You can't give a short answer either. You can bring that short answer when we deal with that topic, okay? All right, so. Okay. Now.
Let me see this. All right. I said we were going to cover two topics tonight. We covered one. So uh, next week we will get into are there errors in the Bible part two, but it may end up becoming part three too. But the good thing is that we're having a good discussion and it brings assurance to us. Okay. Like I said, tonight we only dealt with half of what I thought we would deal with, but that's okay. We'll pick it up here next week. And if we got to do two or three or four weeks to deal with this topic, we'll deal with it because we got all the time in the world. All right. But the main thing is, I wanted to end at the end of this section, just assured that what we have in our Bibles is God's Word. Okay? So, we'll pick it up there next week. And as I said, the next question is, okay, well, that may have been true of the original manuscripts. We don't have the original manuscripts. Even if they are the right 66 books, how do we know that what we have in our Bible is what it said 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago? How do we know it hasn't been corrupted, which is exactly what some of the cults and the Muslims say, is that the Christian Bible has been corrupted through the years because it was copied so many times. And it was copied. That's the only way it could be transmitted. How do we know we got the right thing? And Just don't lose your faith between now and then because we do know that. We do know that. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for helping us in our discussion tonight. And Lord, I thank you that we do have that assurance, Lord. We have the assurance of your Holy Spirit and of you speaking to us personally in and through your word that we know it's your word. But I thank you that we have even more of a foundation than that. We have the foundation, Lord God, that it was written down by people that you used to speak your word. And there's evidence of that, like fulfilled prophecy and so many other things and the authority that was seen in their lives, Lord God, that was recognized by the church, Lord, all through history that these books have the authority of your Holy Spirit speaking. And Father, the most important thing is not just that we have that assurance, but that we take it seriously so that we choose to read your word and learn your word and live your word. So help us to do that. Father, we just thank you and praise you for all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.